Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, for those of you who are uh, guests or visitors, welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning. And uh, if I haven't met you, uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, it is great to have you with us as we gather for worship and as we come to God's Word. And uh, if you are new uh, with us, if this is your first Sunday or, or maybe you're tuning in uh, through our live stream for the first time, uh, we, you are joining us in the midst of a series in the book of Psalms. So this wonderful Old Testament book, which was the hymn book of the Old Testament people of God. These songs were sung by God's people as they gathered for worship. They were prayers that were uttered by the people of God as they came to the Lord. Uh, we are looking at these various psalms, and this morning we're looking at Psalm 141. And so if you have a Bible, please turn to Psalm 141. Uh, there, uh, if you don't have a Bible, in just a few moments, the passage is going to be projected on the screens in front of you. But Psalm 141 is a psalm of David, and this psalm is a prayer. It's a prayer. Now, as, uh, as I've talked to many of you about the psalms and shared with you my love for them and heard why you love them, uh, a common theme comes up. One of the reasons we like the psalms so much is how much we can resonate with the psalms. It feels like the psalmist understands our circumstance, understands our situation. That when we're in great depths of sorrow, we find psalms that give words to articulate our heart. When we are in times of great celebration and joy, we find psalms that erupt in praise and worship. We resonate with the psalms because the psalms understand our situation. And, and as we come to them, we find a common voice. We kind of find a way of declaring what is in our hearts and in our minds. We resonate with them. But I think sometimes it can just stop right there when we come to the Psalms. Sometimes we just sit there and we read them and we think, well, well we've gained insight into David. David understands our circumstance. It's kind of like we're reading his spiritual mail. We get a little bit of understanding of, of, of his spiritual life, of how he appropriated his life before the Lord, and maybe that resonates with us a little bit, but that's kind of where it ends. But the Psalms are more than that. The Psalms don't just give us insight into David or into Asaph. The Psalms actually seek to reorient us around what is true, what is good, what is beautiful. The Psalms seek to reform us and to reorient us, to change us so that the words of the Psalms actually become our words, that these songs would be our songs, that these prayers would be our prayers. And as we come to this prayer, that is my hope for us, that these words of David would become our words, that this prayer of David would actually orient our prayers. So let's go ahead and read Psalm 141, a psalm of David. O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. 
when their judgments are thrown over the cliff, when they shall hear my words, for they are pleasant. As when one plows and breaks up the earth, so shall our bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol. But my eyes are towards you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of the evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and ask that as we read this prayer, that you would make this prayer our own, that we would uh, duplicate it, that we would replicate it, that David's words would be our words, and that you would find our words, our hearts, our minds pleasing, Lord. So we ask that you would help us now. Open our eyes and soften our hearts. Lead us in the way that we are to go. We are in need of your help and your grace. So we ask that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts to please you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder how often we actually think about our prayers, about the content of them. I mean, many of us are believers, and so we pray. Praying is part of our daily life. Hopefully, it's part of our daily life. Um, on good days, it's part of our daily life, right? Um, and, but I wonder, as, as we pray, as we come to the Lord in prayer, I wonder if we actually think much about what we're praying, or if we ever reflect back on what we've prayed. I mean, if, if you're like me, and I imagine many of you are, we, we easily fall into just kind of a pattern, a rhythm of prayer, and we end up praying for the same things over and over again, and we, we don't really give much thought to what we're praying about or where our hearts are in the midst of prayer. We just kind of say the next word that comes out. I know that can happen to me very easily. Right? I just start using the same themes, the same phrases, and maybe they sound pious, and I say amen, and I walk away, and I can't even remember the things that I just thought about or how it really was a reflection of my heart or mind. Maybe you can resonate a little bit with that. I wonder if we recorded what we prayed and we played it back, what we would hear. I imagine that for many of us, we would hear similar themes, consistent themes being repeated again and again, right? Themes about health and help and trouble and relief from anxiety and fear, right? Those are the things that we would probably pray, and, and we should pray those things because God does care about those. God's concerned about our concerns, our worries, our cares, our fears. He desires good health for us. So, so it's right for us to pray these things, but I think if we examine our prayers a little bit more in-depthly, we would find that oftentimes it's situation and circumstance that gives birth to our prayers. That our, our prayers are just response to something that's happening outside of us or something that's being imposed upon us. And so we cry out to God. We feel like we're out of control or we're afraid. And that's actually what we see in the Psalms. Right? If you've been with us this summer, we see that again and again. Right? David experiences evil. He's confronted by wicked men. And what does he do? He prays. He's pursued by Saul. He flees to a cave. He prays. Re Absalom rebels against him, his son. And so what does he do? He leans into God. He prays. This is what David does. Circumstance comes upon him. And he prays and he prays and he prays. And we see that in this psalm. We don't know who the evil men are. We don't know who these enemies are. But David's in a distressing situation. And so in verses 1 and 2, he prays. O oh Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. 
Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. You see, David comes to the Lord in prayer. And this language of incense, it's, it's saying David's invoking this aspect of worship. That what his prayers would be would be pleasing to the Lord. See, incense was used in the Old Testament worship that the people would burn incense and would be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And so David is saying, allow my prayers, allow my words to be pleasing as our worship is. In his distress, in his worry, in his fear, he prays. He even prays against the evil that is being done against him. We see it in verse 5. My prayer is continually against their evil deeds. You see, David is concerned about the circumstances he's faced with. And in one sense, this shouldn't surprise us at all, because we see this time and again. It shouldn't surprise us, because this is what a lot of our prayers probably look like. But what's interesting about this particular psalm is that David's not only concerned with his circumstance. David's not only concerned with the out, outside, the, the exterior situation that he is confronted with. David is concerned with himself as well. You see, David takes time and, and is very self-aware about his response to the circumstance and about the situation. And so he doesn't just pray against evil, he prays for himself. And he's inviting us to do the same. To take time and be a little more self-aware as we pray when we're confronted by difficulty or circumstance, to, to be a little more self-aware about what our response might be. And when we are, what we're going to pray is that God would guard us from our sin. That's what David prays. He prays, guard us from our sin. In verse 4, we see it. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. So you see, David's actually concerned with his own heart, right? And his response to these people who are perpetrating evil against him. And so he prays about himself. But, but why? Why is he concerned with himself and not just with the evil that's being done outside of him? Well, because David understands that behavior is contagious. Behavior is contagious. Now, we like to think we're our own person. We like to think we're pretty resolute, right? Like it doesn't matter what someone might do, how they might act around us. Like that won't affect us because I am firm in myself and in what I believe and how I'm going to act. And how, but but y'all, the truth is, is that other people's actions and behaviors, they affect us. And oftentimes we duplicate them. Our actions and behaviors, they are contagious. You know, recently I've been watching the uh, ESPN documentary, The Last Dance. Has anybody watched this? A few of you? Okay. It's, it's really good um, if you like basketball. So uh, The Last Dance, it's recounting the, the Chicago Bulls' uh, sixth championship in eight years. And, uh, and so it follows the Chicago Bulls. We knew that their team was going to get divided up after that season broken up. And so uh, a documentary crew followed them around and they interviewed the different players and they watched them and they filmed them. And of course, who is the star of this documentary, the Chicago Bulls? Michael Jordan, right? Greatest player the Bulls ever had, greatest player to ever play in the NBA, right? He, of course, he is the center 
of this documentary. And it's not just when they're focused on him that he's the center. It's even when they're talking to Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman and Ron Harper and all these other people. They start talking about Jordan. And what they talk about often, a theme that pops up again and again, is how hard Jordan played in practice. So he was the one who was always working the hardest. He was running the fastest. He was always competing the most. He had to win even in practice. When the whistle blew and the practice was over, Jordan was still there shooting extra shots and running extra sprints and practicing his D. And before long, the other players started doing it. Not because they thought that with a little bit extra work, they would be the best player in the world. Because we know, like as good as Ron Harper may have been, as hard as he may have worked, he was never going to be MJ, right? No, they weren't doing that to become like him. They were doing it because his behavior, his actions were contagious. They couldn't help but be like this. And so his work ethic, his devotion to getting better, his singular focus on winning a championship, it became their work ethic and their devotion to getting better and their focus on winning. His behavior was contagious. He didn't have to tell them to stick around. They just started sticking around. And this isn't just in sports. It's in our families. It's in our neighborhoods. It's in our friendships. It's why our children act like we do. We didn't tell them to do this. They just do it. And it happens not only for the good, for championships, but it also happens for the bad. Sometimes negative behavior is contagious. And David knew this. David is very self-aware. He realizes not only the danger of evil outside of him, but he recognizes the danger of evil that could be welling up inside of him. And even even though he knows these are wicked and evil men and sinful men, He realizes that this danger of him adopting their behavior is contagious, that he could easily duplicate it. And so this is why he prays in verse 4, guard my heart from evil. And in verse 3, he says, set a guard over, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You see, David knows that he could easily respond to evil with evil. He could respond to wickedness with wickedness. And we know that inclination, don't we? When we've been hurt, someone uses a harsh word against us, we're ready to zing them right back, aren't we? When we have been treated unfairly, we want those people to be treated unfairly. When we have experienced evil, we want those who have brought evil upon us to feel evil themselves. And I'm not talking about biblical justice. There is a place for that, absolutely. What I am talking about is the danger of sinful retribution. And we see this happening. It happened in David's day. It happens in our own. It happens in our own lives. Right? I mean, just think about a conversation that you might have on social media. You enter into a conversation, and and it's a nice conversation. It's cordial. It's back and forth. Right? It's charitable. People are learning from one another. They're growing. They're giving the benefit of the doubt. I know we have to suspend belief for a little while. (laughs) But it does happen from time to time. But when it does happen, what, what also happens? 
Well, in the midst of that back and forth conversation, an observer, an acquaintance, a Facebook friend pops their head in with rude and angry, dismissive and harsh comments. And before we know it, this conversation that was going so well is, has turned completely. Right? Those people who were moments ago reasonable and rational and discerning and kind, they've, they've lost their minds and so have we. And, and our words become biting and hurtful and thoughtless. I'm not saying someone made us act that way. I'm simply saying our behavior is contagious. Or the way that Jesus put it, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so when David is confronted with the sin that is around him, instead of focusing on the enemies, on the wicked, what does he do? He looks at himself. And he prays that he himself would not fall into that same sin. It's like what Paul advised the leaders of the Galatian church. Do you remember in Galatians chapter 6, Paul says that when someone is caught in a transgression, when they have sinned, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of kindness. But then he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You see, friends, even as we experience the ramifications of sin and evil, it is not an excuse for us to engage in sin and evil. And David knows this. But David also knows that in order to resist this temptation, he needs help. We need help. This is why he prays, set a guard, keep watch, do not let. You see, in of ourselves, well, our, our flesh is weak. But with God, mouths are muzzled. The wicked is resisted. Works of iniquity they are turned from. I mean, that's the words of the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Lead us not into temptation. So friends, let us practice this. Let us practice this. That the next time we experience sin in this world or sin that is against us, before we explode with words and we send off that scathing email, let us pray, God, guard my mouth. Direct my hands. Do not let my heart incline to evil. Let us be a little more self-aware and pray that we too would not engage in sin and wickedness. We need to pray for God to guard us from our sin, but we also pray that God would lead us into righteousness. You see, David isn't happy with just not sinning. That's a good first step, right? That's always a good first step. Don't sin. <laughs> but he doesn't want to just stop there. He's not content with remaining in some moral neutrality. He wants more. He wants righteousness. And so he prays, verse 5, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. All right, did you hear what David asked for? Let that sink in for a minute. What, what David asked for, Let a righteous man strike me. Let him, the righteous man, rebuke me. David is asking God to send someone into his life to point out his sin to him. All right, when was the last time you asked for that? <laughs> right, we've asked God to lead us away from sin. 
We've asked God to protect us from evil. We've even asked God, show us how to live, but, but send someone into my life to point out my sin, to poke at those places that I don't even like to think about. Like, that's what I'm going to pray for? I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because there would be very few of us and I wouldn't be one of them. But David's desire for righteousness is so great that he actually asked God to send him someone to show him his sin. Not so that he would remain in his sin, not so that he would go down into the pit of despair, but so that he would repent of it and he would turn from it and he would be led into righteousness. That's why David asked for it. You see, David understands the words of Proverbs 27, that better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You see, David knows that this will lead to holiness and to righteousness. And so he calls it kindness. It's a kindness to have our sin exposed. So we have to ask, when a friend points out our sin to us, makes us aware of our failings, our faultings, how do we respond? You know, before we even actually ask that question, we should ask, is there anyone in our life who does this for us? And I'm not talking about your spouse. Like, that's a given, <laughs> right? That is a given. That's part of this uh, marriage vows, I think, right? <laughs> right? That is a given. No, I am talking about a friend, someone who loves you enough to tell you that you have sinned. Do you have that? If you don't have it, this needs to be your prayer. Send a righteous man to strike me. Let him rebuke me. That needs to be our prayer. And when that person comes into our life and shows us and exposes our sin, how will we respond? We're going to get defensive and explain it away? Are we going to get dismissive and make light of it? Are we going to deflect and say, well, sure, I did X, but do you know what they did? Like, why are you busying yourself with me? Go talk to them. Like, deal with their or Is that how we do it? We deflect? Or do we say, like David, it is kindness. It is oil for my head. You know, a number of weeks ago, I was uh, talking with a friend, just hanging out, spending time with them. And in a previous conversation with them, they had shared with me some of their sins, some of their struggles, some of their temptations. And so we're sitting there, we're, we're hanging out, we're just enjoying a conversation. And I asked him, I asked him, how are you doing with this? How are you doing with this sin? How are you doing with this temptation? And you know what his response to me was? Before he told me whether he was victorious, whether he had, he, had had, um, he had put it aside, or whether he had fallen, or whether he had failed, before he said any of that sort of thing, without saying, but, but Penny, let's talk about those people in, in another city, in another state, in another church, in another pew. Let's talk about, before he said any, he didn't actually say any of that. You know what he said to me? Penny, thank you. That's what he said. He didn't get dismissive. He didn't get defensive. He didn't deflect. He said, thank you. Thank you for asking. And to ask again. He actually said that <laughs> later. He said, you know, I, 
I, I am giving you permission to ask me about this anytime you want. Because my friend understood what David knew. That it is kindness. It is oil for my head. David knows what we need to know. That as painful as it might be to have our sin pointed out, that we need people in our lives who will tell us when we have sinned and that often that is how God leads us into righteousness. So we seek God. We ask him to guard us from our sin and lead us to righteousness. But, but the final thing David asks for is to keep us in God's peace. Verses 8 through 10, David prays, But my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. So David has looked upon the wickedness and the evil that is around him. But he's looking beyond that and he's looking to a day when evil and wickedness will no longer need to be resisted because it will come under God's final judgment. Right? The wicked will fall into their own traps and judges will fall from their cliffs and the righteous will pa pass by safely. So I want you to see what David is doing. He is reorienting his heart around what is true. Because in the midst of what he is experiencing, it would have been easy for him to think the evil and the wicked, they are winning. They are surrounding me. It feels like they are gaining ground. And so I have to respond to that evil and that wickedness with evil and wickedness. But that's not what he does, is it? Instead, he lifts his head above the situation and he reorients his heart around what is true. He says, I look to you, O Lord. And when he looks to the Lord, what does he find? My eyes are to you, O God, my Lord. What does he find? Refuge. Keep me from the trap. Let the wicked fall into their nets. While I pass by safely, he finds protection and peace. God is his refuge. David is not defenseless because God is his protector and his defender, the one who gives him peace. And friends, that's who he is for us. Because even today, God has not left us to the devices of this world or to the inclinations of our flesh or to the roaring of the devil. No, today he is our refuge he is our refuge because he is the one who sent his son to die on the cross to defeat the world and to defeat the flesh and to defeat the devil. And in doing so, he defends us and keeps us in his peace. And so, friends, this is why we pray to him. This is why we cry out to him. This is why in distress and in difficulty, in whatever circumstance and situation, we, we lean into him. And we pray, asking God to guard us from our sin and to lead us into righteousness and to keep us in his peace. Because he is our refuge, the one who is our peace. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have given us yourself and defended us against sin, against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are thankful that you, Lord Jesus, have taken our sin upon yourself and you have given us a righteousness that is not our own, a righteousness that comes only from you.
And so we pray that as your people, we would live out of that righteousness. We would flee from sin and we would dwell in the midst of your peace. Father, to do this, we need your help. And so we ask for it. Lead us in the way that we are to go. Give us men and women in our lives to help us so that we would walk with you all of our days. And we pray this in Christ's name. And God's people said together, amen.